chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read a couple verses in the middle of it and then uh, get to our, the heart of our text, which is 36 through 38. But we'll start with Luke 2, verses 21 through 24. And God's word says this. And at the end of eight days, when Jesus was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And then he meets Simeon, or Simeon meets him, and we have that great passage, and then we get to where we'll find ourselves uh, parked this morning, that's in verses 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Please be seated. Let's ask God's help as we look at the text this morning. Lord, we thank you for baby Jesus who grew up to be Jesus, the sacrifice for us, who's the resurrected Jesus, who's the ascended Jesus, who is the returning Jesus. We thank you for the uh, events that happened at Christmas time, and, and we thank you that we can worship you and look in your word and, and see what you have for us uh, there. We pray for your Holy Spirit's help as we uh, encounter Uh, this text, and we ask for you to do your holy work in our lives, uh, as you know what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing this series on the women of Christmas, and we find ourselves uh, having proceeded through three of the four in the genealogies uh, of Christ. Uh, We've looked at Elizabeth and Mary, and now we find ourselves with Anna. And Anna is a different one than the others in that there is less information about her. And yet here she is. Uh, You think, just some old church lady, just some old woman hanging around the church. Uh, When I was a kid, they were a dime a dozen. No. This is a woman who God knew This is a wonderful woman. There is so much for us to learn from her life as we look and see what we have of her. Uh, God, when he was inspiring and breathing out his word, uh, found her worthy uh, to be talked about. Sometimes we uh, see her as kind of an addition to uh, Simeon. Uh, Sometimes we preachers, we're preaching through maybe the text at Christmas and and we feel like we need to put this part on. And, and so we talk about Simeon, and then Anna's the final point. Oh, there was this woman named Anna, and here she is too. But this morning, I want us to consider 
this godly elderly woman. Uh, the setting is the circumcision of Jesus. Uh, at, at the circumcision, he was given his name. He was actually given the name uh, by the angel both to Joseph and to Mary. You'll call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the New Testament uh, uh, version of Joshua. And so this little baby Joshua, baby Jesus, uh, still in some countries, a lot of the Hispanic countries, you'll still find little boys running around named Jesus. And that's not a blasphemy. That is a honoring name. Uh, it's, it's Joshua. But he was given. And formally, he was introduced to the world as the one who would be the Savior. She'll bear a son, Matthew one twenty one says. Shall bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So this morning, I want us to look at Anna. Of course, we're looking at Jesus ultimately. That's, that's where it better go and better stay. But at Anna's life, looking at Anna's past, her present, and her future. This woman, Anna, had seen some lows. And she'd seen a steady life of highs. She had seen some lows. She was old. The Bible says she was up in age. Uh, Bible remarks on, on this. Um, she had, in verse 36, it tells us about Anna and her life. It says there was a prophetess, Anna. Now, don't get hung up on the word prophetess or prophet when you see that in the Bible. Prophet uh, uh, used in this context simply means one who tells people about the Lord. Uh, an old Puritan wrote a book called The Art of Prophesying. and We think of a prophet meaning uh, in a narrowly defined Old Testament sense, somebody that could, God gave them a vision of the future and they could predict that. Um, here it's used as one not who was predicting the future and it's not like we don't say, oh, we're out of line as a church because we don't have any prophets or prophetesses running around. Um, we do, if, if we're doing our jobs, we're prophesying. We're telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. And she was called a prophetess. She was the daughter of Phanuel. She had a name. She was a little girl. She had a dad. She had a family name. She was of the tribe of Asher. Tells us she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And the Greek the language here is, is interesting for us, and people talk about this. They're trying to figure out uh, how old she really was. But one thing that's undisputed is she'd been married seven years and her husband died. And that was tragic. In that day and age, uh, family was your social network. Family was your social security. Family was identity in so many ways. And seven years into the marriage, her husband's gone. And having walked with and talked to, and having loved my little sister through time of losing her husband a month ago, and, and here comes Thanksgiving, then yesterday's her birthday, first one in however many years without her husband. Here's Christmas, here's New Year, here's all of these things, and it's devastating. And seven years into the marriage, 
they got married young in those days. He was uh, uh, quite likely not an old man. Might have been older than she was, but you would think that seven years in, uh, it's, it's probably some kind of a tragic, accidental, sudden death that she was hit with. Uh, we have our pain, don't we? We have our suddenness. We're looking out at a year. We don't know what's going to happen. We know what we would like to happen. We know what happened last year. We know what we hope doesn't happen this year. But we live in this world where things happen and people die and people get diagnosed and people get pink slips and people get uh, in accidents and, and people get disabled. It's a world that is unpredictable. And she had seven years in. And that's it for her and her marriage. Now, the dispute here, it says, uh, in this ESV translation, it says uh, she was advanced in years, uh, and she was then as a widow until she was 84. Uh, Some very valid Greek scholars look at this and they go, no, she had been a widow for 84 years. And they're saying... This is legit. People are saying, just looking at the text and the construction of the text, um, a couple of them have said, no, she might have been 100. And she might have been. Now, what we know about that age, people didn't normally live that long, we don't think back then. (laughs) Uh, With the advances of modern medicine, we've we've kind of... uh, pushed our age to where our expectancy is in the mid-70s, and now with the advances of modern medicine, I think that's even, (laughs) medicine has pushed us back down to the low 70s um, as things all happen medically. But um, maybe she was 100. That'd be a rare one. Maybe she was 84. What does the text tell us that's undisputable? She was advanced in years. And what do people do sometimes when we get advanced in years? We reminisce. We think our glory days are behind us. We feel like we're just in somebody's way. Um, Think about dealing. Um, My dad, as I've told you, he says, I sit here in the chair, and he, he jokes about it, but he talks about it a lot. He goes, I just sit here in the chair and I make all these plans. I know I can't do the plans, but I make the plans. Dad was born on the exact same day as Bob Rainey. The exact same day when I was visiting Bob in the hospital a while back and they asked Bob his birthday to make sure he was lucid enough and, and could, uh, could take his medicine. Bob gave his birth date. And the woman said to him, oh, yeah. She said, you, we, I asked you that one yesterday because you told me that the Liberty Bell was damaged on that day. And so he left, and I said, Bob and Nettie, I can tell you something that happened not just on the day you were born, Bob, but on the exact date, something in history. They go, the exact date? And I said, yeah. They said, an important event? And I go, yeah, to me at least. I said, my dad was born in Sheraton, Iowa the same day you were born in Philadelphia, Bob. Same day. Told my dad that. He said, ah, oh, don't tell me there's some old guy getting around better than me. And I said, Bob's not even an old guy. And I hate to tell you this, Dad, but he's getting around a lot better than you. And Dad said, well, good for him. 
but we get older and we look and we think that maybe that's over for us. Don't we sometimes? I recently finished, finally finished. I was reading through all of the Agatha Christie Hercule Poirot novels from when Agatha was a young writer and she wrote one of her first mysteries, if not the first. I think The Secret Adversary was the first, but her first Poirot novel, uh, The Mysterious Affair at Styles. And she wrote 40 books as she got older and Poirot got older. And in her very final one, Curtain, uh, it's interesting to hear her describe old age. Uh, Poirot's good friend was uh, Captain Hastings. And Hastings says this about getting old and being old. And they're back at Styles, and this is right before Agatha died. And Poirot dies in this one um, after solving all those mysteries. But Captain Hastings says, here we were, a collection of twilight people. Gray heads, gray hearts, gray dreams. Myself, sad and lonely. The woman beside me, also a bitter and disillusioned creature. Dr. Franklin, eager, ambitious, curved and thwarted. His wife, a prey to ill health. Quiet little Norton, limping about, looking at birds. Even Poirot, the once brilliant Poirot, a broken, crippled old man. How different it had been in the old days, the days when I'd first come to Styles. The thought was too much for me. A stifled exclamation of pain and regret came to my lips. My companion said quickly, what is it? Nothing. I was just struck by the contrast. I was here, you know, many years ago as a young man. I was thinking of the difference between then and now. I see. It was a happy house then. Everyone was happy here. And then he says, curious sometimes how one's thoughts seem to swing in a kaleidoscope. It happened to me now. A bewildering shuffling and reshuffling of memories. And he finally says, my regret had been for the past as the past, not for the reality. For even then, in that far off time, there'd been no happiness at Styles." We get disillusioned, like that song said, the good old days weren't always good. Tomorrow's not as bad as it seems. But we look sometimes at the past. You hear a song on the radio that reminds you of when you were a kid or somebody who's long gone, and you choke up. And Anna is there, married seven years now either 84 years old or 84 years older. And what's her life? How do we deal with the memories and the regrets and the getting older? Country band called Sugarland had a song called The Very Last Country Song where the woman says, Today's my birthday, and all I want is to dig through this big box of pictures in my kitchen till the daylight's gone. This one here is my mama with the long brown hair. I'm 40 years older today than she was in that picture there. These are all my babies. Lord knows how we survived. First one was hard, and the last was unplanned. What a big surprise. That's him with his daddy's eyes. And she goes on to look back at her life and look through this box of pictures, and she says this. But if life stayed as it was, 
and lovers never fell out of love, if memories didn't last so long, if nobody did nobody wrong. It's a country song, remember. If we knew what we had before it was gone, if every road led, led back home, this would be the very last country song. And people are looking, and we think back. And there's a message I'm going to say. I'm going to say it again and again. Your life is not over when you hit a certain age. Your value to God does not end until God, uh, I guess it never ends, because God calls you home. Your value on earth does not end until God says it's over on earth, and then you continue to be important and valuable as, as one person who God saved who's worshiping him in heaven. But you think of Anna, people constantly going to the temple, constantly going there where the sacrifices are being being uh, given, where, where everything is pointing to the Savior. And here's this old woman, maybe not even seen except as part of the furniture. Come on, kids, hurry up, hurry up, get in here, get in here, get in and get out. Weaving around, and there she is. Her past and now her present. But what was going on in her present? What was it about Anna? How did she deal with her present as an old lady who'd seen tragedy? Look at verse 37. Then as a widow until she was 84, says our translation, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And she said, I'm going to do what I was made to do. What's the chief end of man? What's the chief end of Anna? Glorify God. Enjoy him forever. And she came to the church. Didn't depart from the temple. People uh, say, does that mean that she had a little room there? Was this temple, did it have a place or was it just that whenever the temple was there, she went from her home wherever that was and was just there, like she was always there at church? She found solace where God was publicly worshipped. Where God was worshipped, that's where she went. What is she going to do the next day? She's going to go where people are worshipping God, and she's going to worship God too. Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. God had a place for his Old Testament people. He has a place for his New Testament people. And there is something beautiful and wonderful about going to church when it's time to go to church and getting together with God's people and worshiping the Lord together. We're going to get to the individual worship in a moment. But there is a corporate worship that God has always called his people to do. Need to go to church. Need to raise your voices with other people and praise God. God loves to hear his church's worship. And I'm thinking about it now. Uh, just And we pray every Sunday for the four churches that worship here. Well... What a beautiful thing. And we know the church is not the building, and we'll say, hey, let's go down to the church. Uh, the church is God's people that he's collected into people. But he did that. There was a 
prescribed way to worship God. He gave ways to worship him in the Old Testament that were pointing to his greatness and glory and to the Savior who was coming. And it didn't stop when Jesus came and and, and, and Jesus died and, and Pentecost happened and they went out and planted churches. What did they do? They said, gather together. And there were all these things in the New Testament about churches. Church is important. I didn't bring the passages to read them this morning, but Paul even talks about how to love and care for the widows in churches. Churches are made up of people who God loves and he puts them in, he puts people in families and he puts people in church families. Does it have to be a big church? Does it have to be a certain size to be a valid church in God's eyes? Thankfully, no. Um, uh, It's not talking about churches, but it's talking about solving disputes, and the church enters into Matthew 18, where it talks about if you have a dispute and you go to the people of the church, if they don't hear you, but that whole uh, verse that we sometimes just pull out and and quote, and and good, good that we do, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And Anna found her solace. She found her purpose. She found her growth. She found identity. She found a walk with God in the context of being in God's house as it was then. And she was there day and night. It's good to go to church. Now, we know that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. We don't want to throw extra rules and and things on people. But I'm telling you, just like that old pastor said, my deep theology on prayer is it's better when you pray than when you don't. I'm going to say my deep theology on church and church participation is you're better if you've got a Bible preaching and a worshiping church. You're better if you're there than when you're not. Did Anna's being there in the presence where God was being worshipped, where Jesus was being pointed to, did that lead to her being then a woman who fasted and prayed in her own personal walk? Or was it her personal walk where she fasted and prayed that led her to be where God was publicly worshipped? I think they fed on each other. But she was there, and she privately worshipped and had a personal relationship with God. And I'll even say this, a personal relationship with God through Jesus, the Redeemer, who she got to see that day with her own eyes. And I'm reminding all of us that we need both. We need to gather together. But forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Churches are where we help each other. If my faith is wavering and I'm lacking, uh, it's in the context of a church when I see old Fred over here or or Wilma over there, everybody worshiping God, and, and it's like, yes, that reminds me. God's at work. It's not just me taking my own spiritual temperature every hour and charting it in some book doing my thing, but realizing God's got his people and he's gathering his people. It's good for us to gather in worship.
Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And there are times when providentially we're sick and we can't come. There are times God allows our ox to fall in the ditch, like the Old Testament says. And if your ox is in the ditch, do the work and get your ox out of the ditch. That's your livelihood. Be in church. Elders have kind of automatically done this. We didn't actually do it in our meeting this year, but you know the elders of a church call the time of a church. We say we're going to have a public worship service. We'll make it easy on people. We'll do what the Bible says. It'll be on a Sunday. To really make it easy, we'll make it the same time every Sunday. So you can know at 9 o'clock, if you're a member of the church, uh, here's worship service, here's public worship service that you can come to. You can get your year calendar for 2024, and you can just put that in. And, and if you're writing it, you can write it in. Or you can get in your computer calendar, and you can push it, and if it says continuous, you can hit that little button. Um, public worship. Anna was in the temple. We're in our churches worshiping God. And we're praying and we're fasting. And we have a personal walk with Jesus. Our church uh, attendance does not make us right with God. It aids us as we worship God. And our personal walk with God then is attended to. It's the new year. This is my new year sermon. I just want to remind and challenge and ask and say, um, think about as you look at it. Um, most of us are so cynical these days we don't even set uh, New Year's resolutions. Well, maybe with a new calendar, a new page, a new day and all that, maybe uh, if, if you don't, make an exception for this one. Read your Bibles. Set aside time and a commitment to pray. There's so many good tools out there. Um, it's different for everybody, and, 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 and I'm not saying you have to do it the way Billy Graham did it or the way that uh, oh Tim Keller or some of these guys do. Somebody's plan is, is one thing. If, if either of those men read their Bible and prayed, then imitate that. And what's good for, for you, you find a way. But read your Bibles. You're a better Christian if you're reading your Bibles. You are uh, more able to handle that tragedy of losing that spouse after seven years if you're God. God will never abandon you, and he's always there if you're a Christian. But you, in your walk with God, there is a, a salvation that we've been given. And there is a way that God is happy when his children live it. It's not work salvation. You can't make him love you anymore if you fail in your Bible reading plan than he does now. Jesus died on the cross for your sins if you're a Christian. You've been forgiven. But boy, there is a way to know your Savior. And I'm just saying as a new year, there's some good stuff. There, there's some good ways to aid you. And you get into a, a habit of discipline and that, then that habit of, of reading your scriptures helps you. 
you're better off when you read your Bible and pray than when you don't. And Anna was in church, and she was privately worshiping, and she had a personal relationship with God, and God loves his people, and he loves the Annas of the world. Those widows have a place. Listen to what Psalm 146 says about people who, who are loved by God. Uh, 146 verses 5 through 9. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. The way of the wicked he brings to ruin. And Anna was upheld as she spent her time in church and and praying. And the Lord took care of that lady. And there she was. And do you think, I mean, I don't know how it works, but do you think God had a little smile on his face as he's watching Anna do her routine and trudge into the temple that day? And he's watching Joseph and Mary bring baby Jesus into the temple that day. And here comes old Simeon that day. And God says, there's all these people I love, and here's the Messiah who's going to save them all. And doesn't my daughter Anna have a great, big, wonderful surprise for her today? And that was like a Christmas present he gave to her. And she came, and she'd been praying, and she'd had dialogue. It tells us she knew who the people were who were looking for the Savior, who were looking for a Redeemer. And there that day, in her old age, she was able to praise God and say, here's the Redeemer. God gave her that job to do. She was 83 years old. You could say, Anna, what was your worst day? And she might point back to the day her husband died. Or maybe she would point to something else. You could say, what's your best day? And she would have said at that time, they're all really good days because I just have great communion with God. But her best day was that day. And the Messiah comes to the temple to be circumcised. And Simeon, uh, who maybe next year will spend some time on him and, and give what he had said about his eyes, seeing the salvation of the Lord and, and Jesus being the light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory. But all of that Simeon talk and, and the talk to Mary, and along comes Anna. And in her present on that day, it says, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for what? For the redemption of Jerusalem. Her response is to testify. It was to glory, give glory to God, and it was an encouragement for the other people. Now we have some application lessons for a church and for people. Today's sermon, I, I'm sorry to say I have nothing for you younger people today. This was a sermon for old people. 
not for young people. And you know I'm kidding. (laughs) You know I'm kidding. Here's what this sermon has for young people today. This sermon for old people, about old people, for young people. Here's what you need. I want you younger people, and, and if you consider yourself younger, like when I'm talking to my mom and dad, I'm younger, but I'm really older. Um, I'll never forget the day that uh, I was out in the yard, and, and, and my youngest was really a little, a little kid getting on the school bus. And the other girl said to her, oh, I saw your grandpa out there. <laughs> I'm like, well, it wasn't grandpa, that was dad. Uh, but um, for you younger people, love the older Christians in your life. Look at them. Don't look past them. Don't find yourself in a setting where you say, well, I just want to go to a place where they segregate all the young people, get all the young people out, and and leave the old people. Because old people are one thing, we're young. Love the old people. Be around the old people in your life, the older Christians in your life. Learn from the older people in your church. Prepare now as you're thinking. You say, maybe I'm a, a young dad or I'm a young teen or I'm almost a teenager, but I feel a little older. Listen, there'll be a day when, when uh, it won't be just grandma creaking as she's trying to get up off your couch. It'll be you. And you think now about your life and what kind of a person you want to be, your relationship you want to have with God what you want to be able to look back at and do. Uh, It's important as a young person to plan for what it's like to be an old person if you're a Christian. How am I going to be an older Christian? How am I in this succession of people that God has had and saved and brought to heaven through all these years? Where do I fit in in that flow of people? It's important. Expose your children. If you're a parent with younger children, expose your children to older people who are living their Christian faith. Let them see the models of people. Let them see what Christians are like. Those of you who are Christians in middle age, well, we had that this week in our Martin uh, Lloyd-Jones study of spiritual depression. The chapter was on don't be weary in well-doing. And he said, uh, as he's talking to that pulpit there in London, and he's saying, you middle-aged people, this is tough because you younger people, you've still got the idealism. You older people can look back and see what God has done. But boy, it's easy to be weary in well-doing when you're in the middle of your life and you're saying, where's all this going? And I'm so swamped. And he reminded us in good ways and and, and reminded us of the rest of the verse when Jesus said, don't be weary in well-doing. For in due time you shall reap if you faint not. But I do have something to say for you older people, us older people. For those of us who uh, look like the days, are, the glory days are behind us. We were talking yesterday, serious conversation about what it's like to fall off the second rung of a ladder, and how we're old and we don't bounce back from that as we used to. Uh, kids would hear us and football players would laugh at us because we would, when we were young, we could take a lick and keep on ticking. And now we're old. 
And I would just say for those of you who are in later years, embrace it. Don't work so hard to deny it. Embrace the place where God has you. You've earned those gray hairs. You've earned those scars on your face. You've earned those spiritual gray hairs and those spiritual scars on your face. Act your age. God's got a slot for you in his kingdom as he uses you to grow people. Debated on whether to talk about this or not, but boy, uh, this was Walmart uh, a couple of months ago. And there was a woman who was my age, but grandma would have said, she was just acting like a teeny bopper. And I was in the aisle, she was in the aisle, and I think she wanted me to hear her sing along with the words of whatever song was out. She was cool, looked like she'd squeezed into her granddaughter's, her 10-year-old granddaughter's leotards, and about three-quarters of the way squeezed into them, and they were a little too tight on her. And and she was just like, but but you looked at her, and she was my age. And it was like, no, lady, act your age. Dress your age. Our culture doesn't need you to try to imitate them. They need you as a role model to imitate and be gracious. First, I was, I was slightly disgusted. So I thought she was trying to impress me as she sang these songs. And it almost seemed like she was following me. Every aisle I looked, there she was. Then I went home and I felt sad for her. And I prayed for her. And we need to say... Listen, you are a certain age, act your age. God loves his senior citizens. He loves his older people, his saints, and he's got a job for you to do. He's got a job for you to do in his church. Titus 2, 2 through 4, through 5 actually. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. There is clear instruction in God's word. We don't have to imply it. Clear instruction in God's word for how it's to work in a Christian church and within the Christian family. And there's a job for older people and a job for younger people. And Anna had her job. And she did her job. And when it came time to point people to Jesus, she did it. Wow. You have a responsibility, you senior saint. An old man going a lone highway came at the evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and deep and wide through which was flowing a sullen tide. The old, old man crossed in the twilight dim. The sullen stream had no fear for him, but he turned when safe on the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, said a fellow pilgrim near, you're wasting your strength with building here. Your journey will end with the ending day. You never again will pass this way. 
You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build this bridge at evening tide? Builder lifted his old gray head. Good friend, in the path I have come, he said, there followed after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that has been as naught to me, to that fair-haired youth may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I'm building this bridge for him. We're building a church. We are praying for and asking God. Uh, one of our senior saints has been praying as long as he's been in this church, and I've been praying with him for God to send young families and children in. We have a culture of people that need to grow up in a church that preaches the word of God, that loves its people, that teaches them. we got a culture that's crashing around us. And we need a church, and we need people in our church to pray for and to take an interest in handing that spiritual torch to our younger people. And think of this. This is for all of us. Just a couple more applications to the text, then we go to the table. Consider how God is the God of his temple. Think of what was going on that day. Here's baby Jesus. He's the one. All these sacrifices are pointing to him. 30 years later, he begins his ministry. Three years after that, he dies on the cross for his people. And and, and the veil is torn in two, and it's all gone. And that temple is, is uh, not worth it anymore because the real Savior has, has come to save his people, the one all of this is pointed to. But think of all of the machinations. You get a book on the temple, and you see what happened, and you look at maps. Maybe you've got a good study Bible, and you see everything's going on. And, and God is involved, and God is there that day, obviously. You can't say, well, God, it was just a false thing, and God... God was there with Simeon. God was there with Anna. God was there with Jesus. God was there that day. God's involved. And you think of the grandioseness and the bigness of, of, of the temple. And we can think of the bigness of the church and all these churches and denominations and movements and all these things. And, and you can't write them off and say God's not involved in, in, in churches and God doesn't care. God cares. And God receives our worship. And God receives our worship in our churches. But think of God doing that and at the same time knowing exactly who Anna was and loving her. And every hair on her head numbered. Everything about Anna God knew and loved and cared about. And that's our God, able to handle all this big stuff, able also and loving enough to look at our lives as we worship him. Think about that. Jesus lived and died. He talked about his church. He said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he went to the cross for particular individuals. The Annas of the world. You Me, why, I don't know, but he did. Love, love for me. Love for you. Love for Anna. He is 
capable of that. And your personal relationship with God counts. And he loves the prayers of his people. So I'm asking us just as a what to do, if there's something to do, approach 2024 with a Anna mindset. Come what may, get to church. Come what may, pray. Read your Bibles. Meditate. Think spiritual thoughts. Say, I know when I die and get to heaven because I'm saved, I know I'll be so close to God. But if I live through calendar year 2024, I'd like this to be a breakthrough year where I'm closer to God now at the end of this year than I was at the end of 2023. And I'll remind us all of what what we need to know. It's the direction, if not the perfection. Because realize this, and this is our final point. Realize that God's loving approach to these worthy goals of yours is to not only help you, but to love you just as much when you fail as when you succeed. And so the pressure is off. We just get to live for God. Close this New Year's look at Anna with Romans 8, 32, and and we'll put the focus on Jesus and on his promise to walk with us through this year. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Take that our approach as our approach into the new year. We'll go to the table. That's a good thing to do on the last day of a, of a calendar year. And then we're going to pray our final hymn, which is Be Thou My Vision, which is the best song to sing as we look at 2024. So let's do that. Let's pray now and go to the Lord's table. Lord, we thank you for this lady named Anna. And at some point her heart stopped beating and then she was in heaven one day. We get to worship with her. We thank you for her. We thank you for what we learned from her. But more than that, we thank you for the redemption that she longed for and declared. And we thank you for that baby Jesus who came in. We thank you that he lived that life without sin. We thank you that he went to the cross as the substitution in evolutionary for his people. And we thank you for the salvation you've brought those of us who are Christians. And we pray for those who are not, that today would be the day of their salvation. And we long and we thank you that we get to be Christians in 2024. Help us, we pray, to appreciate and love the station us in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.